Hey, Yuri, uh, thank you for coming in. <laughs> you are an icon uh, in terms of innovation and transformation and startups and entrepreneurship. And now you have this marvelous book where you get to share all of your experiences with the global audience. And it happens to be the world actually hit now 8 billion in population. So, I mean, I, I, I would recommend this book because, you know, how many people with your kind of background, your, uh, you know, tremendous success history really want to share that experience. And so it, it's, it, it's a must read. <laughs> so Thank you. So, so again, thank you for coming in. And, and I guess our first question is, you know, my audience actually consists of investors and CEOs, but also people who are in mid-career and are, are aspiring to be entrepreneurs. And there's also students as well. So it's very broad. And and so what were the inflection points in your life that led to this wonderful uh, success that you, you're having and continue to have? Um. You know what? I'm not even sure. It's uh, um, it, it's uh, it's it's probably fulfilling my destiny. You know, always following um, um, the passion and the desire to make a bigger impact and um, and becoming meaningful and more meaningful for for more and more and more people. Um, and uh, but I'm not sure exactly where was the inflection point. Maybe it was a uh, um, the choice to go into the tech space, and this is, uh, you know, when when we didn't even know what computers are, and uh, um, and maybe it was, uh, um, uh, you know, the reality that uh, um, I don't take uh, um, things for granted, and as a result, I would challenge pretty much everything until I get my satisfied answers. Uh, so I'm not sure where was the inflection point. You know, that's really interesting. You know, I, I mean, I'm an investor and we have investments in Israel and things like that. And and I find that uh, it's a really unique environment, uh, Israel, and this confluence of, of uh, you know, R&D for the military, but industry interwoven with universities and so on. Do you think that helped in terms of your success? I mean, you're the co-founder of, of WISE, you know, it's the largest community driving uh, traffic navigation required by uh, Google and for 1.1 billion in 2013. Investor and board member would move it, sort of the ways of public uh, transportation acquired for 1 billion by Intel in 2020. So it's like a dual cord. I mean, um, is, is, do you think that helped, it, you know, really the environment that you're part of as well? And then of course you're global. Obviously, yes, right. There, there are um, two things in the Israeli environment that makes it an uh, um, amazing ecosystem for startups in general and, and recently and maybe after ways for scaling up uh, companies as well. Um, part of it has to do with, uh, with, as you mentioned, the military service, right? So military service in Israel is mandatory and you go there at the age of 18 and you stay for at least uh, three years for, for males and two years for females. And, and what it does is, is mature you faster, right? So you, at the end of this term, you ended up to be uh, still uneducated, but uh, a much more mature person. So you understand working in teams, you understand leadership, you understand um, the state of mind that giving up is not an option. And uh, 
Uh, and that makes you, by and large, a better entrepreneur and a better leader and a better, um, maybe even professional in general. Uh, and then the other part is uh, that in Israel, in general, the fear of failure is relatively low. Um, and, uh, and the result is that there are more people willing to go into this uh, um, entrepreneurship journey with high likelihood of failing. Um, and uh, if there are more people starting the journey, then obviously, statistically, we'll have more finishing <laughs> that uh, successfully. Yeah, so, so I, I, it makes uh, Israel a better ecosystem. I mean, Israel ranks number one in the world, a startup nation, right? And from a per capita standpoint. So just a, just a tremendous ecosystem. And you, you find big corporates are there now, right? <laughs> because it is such a, a great ecosystem. I, I know you served in the special intelligence unit, the 8200. I guess you can't talk about any of that work, right? <laughs> you know, it was a long time ago, but yes, I, I was there. Huh? And I spent there about six years. Yeah, that's a tremendous amount of uh, commitment and dedication. And as you mentioned, uh, you learn about leadership and teamwork and so on. But earlier... The, the, the most important thing about uh, um, um, the Israeli military service is, is for a second, I would, call, I would call that as a school or a school for life, is that you get out of it, right? The fact that you go there at the age of 18 is one thing. The fact that you get out relatively early in your career, um, and usually this is somewhere between 21 to 20-something, and in my case, it was maybe 24, uh, then, um, then it gives you the training, the know-how, the, the experience that you have gained um, and it's being used throughout your entire career later on, right? Because if I would do the same thing that I did in my, um, um, you know, in my uh, military, in my IDF uh, time uh, in the U.S., then I might be still doing that. <laughs> you know, it, it's interesting, too, that you are a graduate from Tel Aviv University, and, and there's this uh, company called Pitchbook, and they published uh, that 100 top universities, which are incubators for founders. And out of the top 10, uh, nine are American, one's Israeli, and out of the top 20, 18 are American and two are Israeli. And even out of the top uh, 100, again, it's Israel just being out there, uh, just really disproportionately being represented because it's not a, a big country, right? Maybe about eight to nine million people. And you're a graduate of Tel Aviv University, and Tel Aviv is actually within that ranking. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I think it's in either the top 10 or the top 20 uh, for sure. Um, and so what was that experience like? Because it's an incubator for founders, right? So, <laughs> um, yeah, but, but you know, you look at the entire ecosystem and you would say, okay, so... so so um, the schools are part of it. Um, military service is part of it. Um, um, large or medium-sized corporations are part of it. So if you're working in a corporate, um, then around you, there are other people that uh, sooner or later will become entrepreneurs, will quit their job, go and build a startup, <laughs> reflect sort of a, of, a business, of, of, a, of a role model for you that you would say, wait a minute, if they can, then I... Maybe I should try that as well, right? And in many cases, if you're um, good in what you're doing, then uh, then they would call you up and say, "Let's uh, let's build something new." 
Well, you're definitely a star graduate of Tel Aviv University. And in fact, you now serve on the board of trustees of Tel Aviv University, right? And and you also mentor young entrepreneurs at the uh, Zell Entrepreneurship Program at Reitman uh, University. So it's really interesting. You have these roots and yet you're giving back. Can you t- can you talk about that journey? So, so um, you know, what... what... When you, and and as an investor, you probably would know that when you run into an entrepreneur, you know that their personality is a personality of entrepreneur. But I have another very strong personality of a teacher. And and so the giving back is is fulfilling my destiny as a teacher and, and guiding more entrepreneurs and more people and essentially helping them to become more successful. And to a certain extent, I would say I feel equally rewarded when I build stuff myself or when I guide someone and help someone to build it. And I ended up being the mentor for, for most of my CEOs in my startups and uh, um, and uh, um, guiding and mentoring uh, um, other entrepreneurs. And, uh, and, uh, um, and I feel equally rewarded in both cases. And, and that's, by the way, is pretty unique. Not a lot of the entrepreneurs that you have seen before, uh, you can tell them that they're also teachers. You know, that's really fascinating. Uh, I, in fact, I, I actually taught <laughs> computing technology and, and business and math uh, early in my career. So, but, uh, so I have this kind of, uh, I don't know, passion or, or understand the passion for teaching. Now, you've been in this uh, business uh, for the last 30 years and half in the tech startup scene, and but you got into high tech. How did you bridge into high tech? You know, what drove you into uh, high technology? So um, very early, um, you know, my first computer at home was uh, Sinclair, <laughs> ZX81, and probably the first one that... Uh, the first home computer um, ever made, and that had uh, one kilobyte of data. That's it. So, so just for the audience, let's make sure that we heard that one kilobyte, not one mega, not one giga, not one tera, just one kilo. And uh, um, and and um, and that was uh, um, maybe a eureka moment for me, maybe an inflection point, realizing that wait a minute, I can actually write code. And the computer actually do what I wanted to do, right? <laughs> so that was a, a eureka moment. And I ended up uh, doing a lot of programming during my military service and the first five years of my career. After that, I was a software developer at uh, Congress Technology. Congress was uh, doing the voicemail. We don't remember that, but long, long time ago, um, we all had voicemails associated with our mobile phone. And this is where... Uh, uh, missed calls were recorded, and we listened to that and returned the call and so forth. Um, and today, uh, no one is using that anymore. But uh, uh, but if, uh, you know, occasionally I would say, look, there are probably a billion users of Waze and there are a billion users of Mobit. Uh, with Congress, there were more, more than a billion users, but no one knew that uh, they are using the platform, right? So So that was not a consumer service. Um, and then during my commerce career, I um, uh, at uh, around uh, um, maybe 1996 or so, I, or 1994 or so, I stopped writing code and become uh, 
more of a product and marketing and business and uh, until I left in the year 2000. Okay, so I mean, I would say that's an inflection point then, the, the, the Sinclair, because you started coding and <laughs> and it had to be really efficient because you didn't have a lot of memory, right? So. Um, yeah, that was uh, really efficient. <laughs> and then you then you, then you write this uh, this voice system, you know, that uh, voicemail kind of system, and it's and like you said, you have like a billion users of ways, you have a billion users of move it, and your audience was actually even bigger than that <laughs> using this technology, and you were responsible for for writing that and so on. What led you then to uh, do your first startup and 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 then how did that lead to ways and then move it? Um, so my first startup in, uh, was actually dealing with uh, mobile email um, and uh, um, and this is year 2000 and uh, in the beginning of uh, um, the the internet phones or the smartphones with uh, using uh, WAP. And I think that most of our audience uh, uh, probably don't even know what it is. Um, and uh, and and there was a need to access your email from your mobile phone, right? When we are when you are on the move, and we actually built a system that enables that. Um, and and that ended up uh, um, eventually as a failure. Uh, the need was there, but it was actually addressed differently by sorry by uh, BlackBerry. Right, and um, that actually had a better uh, product, a better solution for accessing your email, um, and uh, and we were out of business. Um, and uh, um, and I think that um, uh, during Converse years, I started a couple of uh, products within Converse, and uh, um, and that was more of a start in to reflect the. Um, the good ecosystem of Congress at the time that basically say, okay, wait a minute, there are a lot of uh, creative ideas within the organization. Let's make sure that we are not missing them because uh, if we don't do the right thing, then those people would leave and they will be in some someplace else. And they they enable the start in approach um, that uh, um, that uh, was was helpful for me because. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, I would run into situations that I would say, wait a minute, we have to do something about it. And then it, it keep on bothering me until we we either validate that or we disqualify that, which is which is actually very good to disqualify something early. Um, and, uh, and so my first startup was in year 2000 and uh, turned out to be unsuccessful. And after that, I joined the uh, OpenWave, which was the pioneer of, of the mobile internet, right, of the WAP at the time. And, uh, um, and later on, I was uh, um, uh, helping startups uh, um, as, as a consultant to figure out their value propositions, their product market fit, and so forth, until until 2007, when we started uh, Waze. And, and Waze, you know, it, um... You, you saw a need and you're able to shape it and became really, really successful. What, what would, would you say were maybe two or three things that really differentiated you and created this great success? Um, so, so focusing on the problem, right? And, and having the problem of traffic jams and the mission to help drivers to avoid traffic jams 
as the North Star for our journey from the first day until even today. Right? And, uh, um, and this is where Waze um, came about with this mission and with the approach that uh, um, we are going to help drivers to avoid traffic jams. Um, and uh, uh, and this is traffic jams is something that is is uh, happen every day, right? And so if you if you're trying to address a problem that people face every day, um, and and you are successful in addressing that, you are very likely to be successful. And that remains the mission of ways from the first day until until today, right? So and and so that was one. The other one, which uh, um, which was critical as well was the approach and and we basically say look in order to um, um to figure out what's going on on the roads we need to have drivers ahead of us on the road that they will tell us automatically they will tell us what's going on right and so we crowdsource everything and not just traffic information and speed cams the magic of ways is crowdsourcing of the maps as well and 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 the reason is that at the time licensing maps were extremely expensive, and and if you look, if you want to have traffic information, and in order to have that, you need to have a lot of drivers. So in order to have a lot of drivers, your application needs to be free. There is no way that you can license an expensive map and provide a free service. That doesn't work. And so we ended up creating our own maps. Um, and and through crowdsource, which makes them um, not good enough at the beginning, and then after iterations becoming good enough, and ways was free, right? So good enough and free wins the market. No one can compete with that. Um, and uh, and we ended up with uh, disrupting the entire market. Yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of lessons in there that made for success, and you, know, you you saw a need, and you're able to address that need, and uh, you. You, it was free, so, so as you said, it was good enough. It provided us a sufficient solution that people would want to use it. And then you get this viral effect happening. You know, and some people call it the Metcalf effect, or maybe the you know the network effect. As it continuing to grow, you must have had volatility during this process too. You know, now typically with startups, for those people in the audience who don't do startups, typically a lot of volatility. Uh, uh, how did you manage that volatility with your team? So, so let me say the following, right? And, and this is in general about startup journey, right? And, and people don't realize that. Um, and and uh, um, look, I would say three things about this journey, right? It's a roller coaster journey with ups and downs and ups and downs. And, and look, all businesses in the world have ups and downs. And in particular, in the last three years, we have seen um, multiple ups and downs uh, um, in, in the market. So, uh, so these can create... Uh, a little bit of a sense of ups and downs, but the frequency of those in a startup are way higher than any other business. Uh, and so roller coaster is one part or one point of view of the journey, um, journey of failures, right? And, uh, um, and the reality is that uh, um, we are trying to um, do multiple things and uh, um, and no one did before. And, and we have the conviction that we know exactly what we are doing, but the reality is that we don't. So we try. We try one thing and it doesn't work and another thing and it doesn't work. And we keep on trying different things until we find one thing that does work. Uh, and so journey of failures, and, and there are 
two immediate conclusions out of the realization that this is a journey of failure. Um, one is that if you're afraid to fail, then in reality, you already failed because you're not going to try. And, and Albert Einstein used to say that if you haven't failed, that's because you haven't tried new things before. If you're going to try new things, you will fail. Uh, and then the other one is basically telling you, wait a minute, if you're going to fail multiple times, then you should fail fast. And the faster that you fail, you actually have enough time to make another attempt and another attempt and another experiment until, and, and the reality is that by having more of those, more iterations of the product, more um, trying different marketing approach, uh, you increase the likelihood of being successful. Now, the last part of, of the of the or the last observations of the startup journey is that this is a very long journey. And the longest part of it is is the one that uh, I call that uh, crossing the desert of no traction. Nothing happens, right? You're unsuccessful in whatever you try. And uh, um, and the best way to think about it is is look, in all the startups, if they figure out product market fit, which means creating value, then, then they will be successful. If they don't figure out product market fit, they will die. And, and the reality is that we never heard of a startup that did not figure out product market fit. They simply peacefully died. That's it. But once they do figure that out, they don't change the value proposition anymore. They don't change the product anymore. And for a second, I would say, think of you know, everything that you're using every day, right? From from Waze to WhatsApp to Facebook to searching Google to Uber to Netflix to whatever it is and ask yourself, what is the difference between what you are using today in the first time that you have used it? And the answer is that there is no difference. We are searching Google today the same way that we search Google for the first time in our life. We are using Uber today or Netflix today. Well, maybe Netflix is a different story or Waze today or whatever. Um, which basically means that nothing has changed since they figure out product market fit. Um, and this is the longest part of all journeys, right? Figuring out product market fits. It's a journey of failures. It's a roller coaster. There were multiple times throughout this journey that uh, that we, um, we, we had questions whether or not we're going to make it. Um, and when we started, there were so many people that told us this will never work. Right? And, and these were the nice guys, right? The lesser nicer guys, they have told us uh, this is the stupidest idea that we ever heard. <laughs> yeah, and, and you just have to ride that through. You, you, you have to have that confidence to keep persisting, right? And and iterating, as, as you indicated, and finding that fit. So while you clearly found the fit, you know, you got acquired by by Google for 1.1 billion in 2013. How did you get involved with Move It? You know, both as an investor board member and, you know, the ways of public uh, transportation, right? And wh what was that journey? <laughs> so um so so the history is is kind of uh is kind of different. They have approached me um, in, I think, 2011. You know, the, the near, the CEO of Movit approached me with the perspective that he would like to invest at Waze. And he thought that Waze is brilliant and he really likes that and he would like to invest. And we had this dialogue and we ended up with uh, um, eventually taking money from uh, Horizon Ventures and, uh, and Kleiner Perkins and 
and and not from him. And uh, um, and a few months later, he approached me and said, "Look, this uh, this idea, this concept of uh, ways for public transportation, and and do I want to join, participate at any any shape and form?" And uh, I discussed that with the board of ways, and we finally agreed that the only thing that I can do is actually. Uh, be on the board member, but I cannot be active there. Not that it was a competition, but uh, um, but it it was um, occasionally could be perceived as competition. Right? And uh, and the reality is, look, in my mind, when when you define your startup, then your startup has a mission. Has this mission has to do with two elements, right? the value propositions and the users or the customers. This is the value that we're going to bring to these users. People that are driving are different than people that are using public transportation. They are not the same people. And therefore, this will never be a competition. Um, and, and that part, people occasionally, they don't see that. They don't see that, uh, that there are only two elements to define um, a startup, the value proposition and the target audience. So that's interesting. And, you know, uh, really you're addressing uh, different needs, though there's similarities in terms of uh, maybe the underlying uh, solution, but really they're different targets. And uh, and and you were very successful, right? I mean, acquired by uh, Intel for $1 billion in 2020. You also head up this thing called the, the Found Chaos Chaosers Kitchen. Can you describe this uh, company builder fund and the name? You know, how how did you come up with that name? So, um, so I will start with the end. I didn't come up with the name. The reality is that uh, most of the meetings happens in my kitchen, and someone <laughs> told me, "Look, all the meetings are happening in your kitchen. You should call that the Founders Kitchen." And uh, and that was part of the. Um, um, informality of the process and, and informality of the relationship that they had. Um, and so uh, Google acquired Waze in 2013 and I left. I left uh, nearly the day after, literally the day after. Um, and uh, and since then I've built uh, multiple startups. Um, about half are um, my ideas and half, um, you know, founders came to me with their uh, problem that they're trying to address and I joined. I always join, you know, way before they start, um, and and I help them to, um, you know, guide them throughout the entire process of 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 before the beginning, throughout the beginning, and then throughout the journey. Um, and initially, I was uh, um, investing my own money as a, as pre-seed round in in many of those, and then I realized that uh, um, what happened is that. Uh, when a company gets pre-seed, then they start to execute and, and demonstrate the value that they are about to build. And then they run out of cash and they immediately need um, a seed round. And uh, um, uh, and so they kind of stop because they don't have funding for that. And then the CEO goes to raise capital, which uh, might take multiple months to raise capital. Um, and uh, and I, I thought that uh, with this approach, I need to have an investment vehicle that actually fund all of those startups and uh, and keep on building them. And so um, at the beginning of, uh, or maybe in the second half of 1999, we decided that we're going to build this uh, um, 
investment vehicle, um, and we call that the Founders Kitchen. And uh, um, and we ended up funding uh, most of uh, the startups that I had at the time. And uh, and then COVID hit, and uh, and uh, and that was much harder to raise capital remotely. Um, and uh, um, and so we ended up with uh, less less uh, um, capital that we wanted. Uh, throughout this journey, I realized that I don't like to be an investor. I, I like to be a private investor. And uh, um, because in my mind, um, the commitment of the vehicle is to the CEOs and not to its external investors. Now, in my mind, uh, if you keep on supporting the companies and the CEOs, then you eventually increase the likelihood of the companies being successful. And the derivative of that is going to be higher return for the investors. But uh, um, uh, but the first commitment is uh, um, is to the CEOs and to the founding teams. And, uh, um, and that was my approach. And and I don't like to be in the conflict of, of uh, between investors and uh, and uh, founders. I guess I can see I can see how that ties into your love of mentoring, right, and teaching and so on. So because you're guiding that whole process from inception all the way through, and 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 you're carrying that forward. And so you know I, you know recommend the audience. Uh, you get your profile is published with the interview, and you'll see all the companies that you're part of. There's a lot of them. Uh, including you're on the board of Infosys, which is uh, you know one of the world's largest uh, public companies as well. So, it's a, uh, so before we get into your book, uh, you know, so the audience, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about some of these companies uh, that you founded, and then how, how you got into the board of of Infosys and what, what that's like? And and I know you have to be careful because it's a public company, but you know, the audience yeah. would be curious. And so. Um... In general, I would uh, I would keep a slow a slot of my time um, to help uh, larger or uh, uh, larger companies as well um, because of uh, a relationship because of um, getting to see what's going on in, in the world because of um, of realizing that uh, um, wait a minute companies actually needs to have the even large companies needs to have the the innovative and uh, um, an entrepreneurship perspective that will help them um, to uh, uh, to to um, become more successful uh, throughout their journey because um, end of the day all the companies not all but most of the companies in the world they might be disrupted their market might change and they might be disrupted and they need to see the perspective of uh, um, of of innovations and entrepreneurship and, and so forth. Um, so, so speaking about few of the startups, right? And and, uh, um, and this is really um, um, important for me. It's, uh, um, I always start from the problem, right? And, uh, um, and my problem is usually being revealed by frustration. And, uh, um, and every time that I get frustrated, I have keep on asking myself, is that really the way it is? Is there a way that we can change that? And, and, and I'll give you a very simple example. Um, and, and this is maybe the thought process, right? And uh, um, I travel a lot and I get to different places. And in many cases, um, I don't know enough the public transportation system there. So I would take a taxi 
And usually when you go to a new place and you take a taxi from the airport, chances are that they're going to rip you off um, for different reasons, right? And this is a sort of a, a common taxi behavior versus tourists. And they figure out, okay, there is someone that doesn't know shit. And, and that's an opportunity to um, to overcharge them, right? And, uh, um, and I said, wait a minute. You feel helpless when it happens, right? Because... Uh, um, if you try to explain to the taxi driver that it shouldn't be something else, then they speak to you at a different language and you have no clue what to do. And you ended up with paying that because you don't know what are going to be the consequences if you don't. And uh, and you don't even know where to complain if you don't like that. And, and so you end up with uh, being ripped off and being helpless. And, uh, and I hate that when it's happened. And, uh, and, and it does happen often, right? And... Uh, so I said, what's the big deal of creating an application that called that taxi meter, right? That you will tell you um, how much you should pay uh, in each and every place, right? Because the, the taxi meter or the taxi rates, they are the public knowledge everywhere. And uh, um, and it's not a big deal to build it. It's not a big deal. It's a big deal to actually promote the application because this is a traveler application and traveler application you need to promote at the origin and not at the destination so you ended up with uh, um, you need to figure out different corridors between people that are traveling and so forth um, but uh, but there is a way to address that and then I, I looked into that and I said eh, it's probably not good it's not probably not big enough and uh, um and uh, um, and uh, um, and I still being frustrated every time that there is someone trying to rip me. So this is a story about a startup that I never started because I thought it's not big enough in terms of uh, the frequency of use and in terms of uh, the addressable market is large, but the frequency of use is low. And in travel space, um, um, it's very hard to find um, um, you know successful um, combinations for for low frequency of use. So this is a startup that never started, um, but uh, but I might eventually start that as well. Um, and uh, um, but but let's speak a little bit about some that uh, that I did start. Um, um, Pontera, uh, formerly VX, we started that in uh, actually when I was still at Waze, um, uh, 2012, and we started with the approach that. Uh, um, People don't know how much fees they're paying on their retirement plan. And as a result, they are going to retire with way less than what they need. And over time, we evolved that into, um, it's not it's not, it's not, not just fees, right? If you take uh, most of the Americans and you ask them, what do you invest in your 401k plan? The answer is probably going to be, I don't know. Uh, now, the reality is that I do know the default. Whatever you set up at the first day that you join that working place um, is still, in most of the cases, still the case, right? And uh, uh, which basically means that if you don't optimize your investment on your retirement plan, that then you will are probably going to be way off than than the average return of those that do. And uh, and the result is that you are going to retire with way less, and so. The Pontera platforms enable financial advisors to support their customers' 401k plans. Um, Fairfly deals with uh, and essentially help people to retire richer, which 
which in my mind is a, um, is a mission worth building a product worth going through the challenges part of the journey for that. Um, Fairfly deals with the um, biggest secret in travel industry. What happened to airfare after you book your flight? Now, you don't know because no one is comparing prices after they make the reservation. The prices are going up and down all the time. They're going up and down before you're making the reservations and after you're making the reservations. And, uh, um, and you can actually, if the price drops, you can rebook the same flight at a cheaper price. Right? And so, um, and you think about it from an individual perspective, but I want you to think about it from a corporate perspective that we can probably save corporates about 10% of their travel budget that goes directly to the bottom line. And so this turns out to be pretty um, uh, significant um, refunded deals with uh, um, the frustrations of trying to um, to obtain the tax-free shopping when you travel. Right? And so when you travel to Europe, you're entitled to, uh, to buy, when you buy goods, you're entitled to get the VAT back, which would be about 20% of the deal. Now, when you try to do that, it simply doesn't work. There are always bad things happen, right? So maybe long lines of customers, maybe um, um, the stores don't have the right form. Maybe you go to the airport and you ask if they have a tax-free and they tell you, of course we have. It's uh, in a different terminal, right? Or something bad happens there. And and the reality is that about 90% of the cases, people don't get their money back and feel very frustrated. And this is the last taste that they have from that hosting country that they were just visiting, um, and uh, and you look and you think about it and you say, what if we can simplify that? What if we can make it in an app that all you have to do is scan the receipt, scan the boarding pass, scan your passport, and get your money back? Right, as simple as that. And uh, um, and that turns out to be way easier said than done because it requires the governments to agree to the new approach and, and that takes ages and obviously during covid when there were no travelers to europe then um you know the entire company went into um hibernation mode and, and so forth. Um, and these are just examples um, um of startups there are, there are dozens of them on my website and uh, and i mentioned more of them on, in my book and uh, um, and they're all starting from from a pain point, from from a problem, and and I will be the first one to experience that, and then I would go and the next you know once you once you think of a problem and you think this problem is big, then then the next thing that you really want to do is ask yourself, so who has this problem? And if a lot of people actually have this problem, then I would say um, go and speak with those people and understand their perception of the problem. And, and only then go and build the solution. And so when I say fall in love with the problem, not the solution, this is exactly what I mean. Start with the problem. Let the problem remain the North Star of your journey because then you know exactly where you remain focused. You know exactly where you're going. And it makes your story way easier to be told, right? So, so if I would be... You know, in 2007, and we will speak, and I will tell you, oh, I'm building an AI-based uh, crowdsource navigation system. Then no one cares, right? But if I will tell you I'm going to help you to avoid traffic jams, then all of a sudden you do care. Um, and, and that's the difference when you think of the solution versus you think of the problem. And, and the steps that you're making when you remain focused on the problem is always about 
am I making progress in addressing the problem and not whether or not my technology works or my solution works or um, or or that feature or this feature are, are working or doing what they're supposed to do. You know, that's, a, that's really interesting. And, and that's the basis of this book, right? And uh, the book that's going to be published on January 17th, uh, 2023, Fall in Love with the Problem, Not the Solution, a Handbook for Entrepreneurs. So what motivated you to write this thing? I mean, I could see it, uh, but I'd like to hear your your sort of narrative behind this book and why you put it together. And because a book is a lot of work, <laughs> so it's uh, so you know the good news is that there was COVID around and I was not traveling and uh, and I actually had uh, more time available for me to write that. But uh, but the book was a mission and uh, and and the book is essentially taking um, my entrepreneurship experience and molding that into my teacher personality and creating something that I would say I can actually make a bigger impact to the world um, if I help entrepreneurs to uh, to become more successful and and that was the um, in my mind the agenda of the book right so helping initially entrepreneurs, but then I realized that, wait a minute, there are so many chapters there that are relevant to all business people in the world and uh, and, and to um, anyone in the high-tech industry in general and, uh, um, and not just entrepreneurs, right? So, so if I speak about how to figure out product market fit, it's a process. It's an iterative, iterative process. Um, and, uh, and anyone that is building a new product is actually needs to go through figuring out product market fit, right? And that could be um, a well-established company. That could be uh, a new team within an established company. That could be a startup. That could be anyone. Um, and, and so many of those are relevant to pretty much everyone. Um, and, uh, um, you know, and, and, and uh, qualifications, uh, um, you know what? I'm pretty sure that it's going to help you as an investor to to be able to qualify better and faster, and uh, um, and realize um, as well uh, where is it that uh, that uh, your startup needs your help. Um, and uh, um, so, so this is the book. It's uh, fulfilling my destiny um, as as a teacher in the sense that. Uh, um, that I can create more value to more people. And as a result, they will create more value to the world. Um, and, uh, um, and that's why I wrote that. And uh, it was, a, you know, it's the journey is not over, but uh, the writing journey was about, uh, about a year of writing and, uh, um, and more months of uh, back and forth iterations and, uh, um, um, and and Adi was doing uh, absolutely amazing work as the co-editor and helping me throughout the entire journey. For a second, I would say I'm not even sure if I would got here without her. Um, and uh, um, and uh, um, and and that's that's the book. And and the book really, I, I mean, I can see the entire narrative. Uh, you know, we've been talking for forty five minutes, and the entire narrative is in your book, really, because of. And you've talked about this whole problem area, right? You know, fall in love with the problem, not the solution, and having that as your, as you mentioned, your north star. And this is not just only for entrepreneurs; it's really for anybody. <laughs> uh, you know, I'll give you a simple example, right? So there is a. Uh, 
maybe two. There is one chapter in this book that called uh, "Firing and Hiring." <laughs> and when I send that to the uh, uh, to the editors, they, they to the to the uh, publisher, they say, "No, it should be hiring and firing." And I said, "No, it should be firing and hiring because firing is our decision. Hiring is easy decision." Um, and and for all the managers, all the leaders in the world making hard decisions with conviction is critical for their success path, right? And uh, and it all started from, from me speaking with a lot of entrepreneurs that their startup failed and, and I asked them, Mark, what happened, right? And they told me uh, we had this guy not good enough and this guy. So not good enough was one reason that I heard quite often. Another reason that I heard quite often was uh, we had uh, communication issues or, or something that I prefer to call the ego management issues. <laughs> and then I asked them the most interesting question. When did you know that the team is not right? Now, all of them said within the first month, within the first month, there was one guy that told me before we even started. And so you said, wait a minute, if you knew within the first month that the team is not right and you didn't do anything, the problem was not that the team was not right. The problem was that the CEO did not make our decision. And uh, um and then you realize that firing is hard decisions and firing is critical decisions because if you don't do that, the problem with having someone that does not fit is that everyone knows. Forget the stuff that this person does not deliver what you expect them to deliver. Everyone knows that there is someone that does not deliver or someone that is a complete jerk and no one wants to work with them, right? And so everyone knows and the CEO doesn't do anything that's the beginning of the end because that will result into the top performing people would leave. And so the, the entire chapter speaks about, first of all, firing, right? And, and the key takeaway that I will say to all the people that are hiring other people in the world is the following. Right? When you hire someone, mark your calendar for 30 days down the road and ask yourself one question, only one question knowing what i know today would i hire this guy now if the answer is yes then you are you have done amazing job and it's time to tell that person that they are doing amazing job and you are very pleased but if the answer is no fire them immediately because you already put them in a path that they are not going to be successful part of it is them and part of it is you but they are not going to be successful and the longer that they will stay, the more damage that they will create because everyone knows. And, and so this is about you know firing and hiring. Another um, interesting chapter um, that, uh, and, and, and by the way, you think about it as uh, this is critical for startups. I, I would say, yeah, it's definitely critical for startups, but this is equally important for all organizations in the world, right? If you have the wrong people, uh, the problem with wrong people is that everyone knows. Um, in that aspect, uh, that turned out to be very, um, um, in another chapter that I called uh, Understanding Your Users. And, and this is coming from, um, you know, it's a story back in 2015 or 16, 15, I think. I was uh, speaking at a conference in Guatemala, and, uh, um, and together with me was uh, Steve Wozniak, uh, co founder of Apple. And, uh, um, 
And we had dinner the night before, and I basically say, uh, let me have a selfie with you, right? And I took out my iPhone, and on the iPhone, um, you can take a picture in two different ways, right? So you can uh, click on on the bottom here, on the um, right here, and it will take a picture. Or you can click on the volume bottom on the side in order to take a picture, right? And, uh, and so I... Um, uh, stand up and uh, um, and took a picture with the volume button and and he told me finally and I said finally what I said well finally is using it the way that I meant it to be <laughs> and and by the way he was right right just think of the evolution right the iPhone came out of digital camera right and and just imagine that this is not an iPhone it's a digital camera and we are holding it like this and clicking right here. Right. So, so that was the common way of taking pictures before um, we had the 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 push button on the screen, and uh, um, and and then you realize that wait a minute, there are different people that are using products different ways, and each one of us is an amazing sample of one person. That's it, one person. <laughs> so there are different types of users, and each one of them is using. Uh, products differently each one of them is thinking of a problem differently each one of them is behaving differently and and you know in particular even if we will say okay you know what we're going to categorize them into different groups and so we will have innovators and early adopters and early majority and late majority and so forth the problem is that if you belong to one group you cannot even imagine what comes to their mind of other people from a different group and you're still a sample of one person or maybe one group. Um, and there is only one way that you can try to understand people from different groups. And this is watching them and asking why. And because if you think, if you are an early adopter, then you think that you, what's the big deal? I can build a product for early majority. No. Early adopters, no, innovators, they are going to use a new product because it's new. So the new part is the most interesting part and whether or not there is value in this product, if there is value, they will keep on using that. If not, then, then not. Early adopters, they will try to capture the value and if there is value, then they will use the product. There is no issues there. The issues is with the early majority. They are not going to use new product because they are afraid of changes. And their mindset is that we, you know, I'm having happy life up until now. And whatever I'm currently doing is okay. And why do you want me to change that? And uh, um, and they would need someone to take them by their hand, by their hand uh, and cross that chasm of using something new. And, uh, um, and if you're a product manager and you belong to the early adopters or to the innovative group, you don't see that unless you will watch them and ask them why. And they will tell you exactly that. Why do I even need to change? Whatever I'm currently doing is, is working fine. Right? Just earlier today, I had a WhatsApp dialogue with, uh, with uh, you know, a group of people. And they said, we, we were trying to schedule a meeting. And, and I offered uh, three different dates. And they said, we should use an app or we should use Calendly for that. And, and I said, what's wrong with Excel? <laughs> And and these are just examples, right? There are there are, uh, you know, a lot of people would like to think that um, 
business model is something that they can create. And, and the reality is that you don't necessarily create your business model. It might be a derivative of what you're doing, of the value that you create. In the, in the end of the day, pricing level um, is always associated with the value that you create. Now, the value that you create usually can be measured by uh, either money or time, right? Now, sometimes it's headache and then it's harder to qualify that, but you still need to qualify the value that you create to your customers in order to be able to price it right. Um, and, uh, um, and look, most of the startups will have uh, three major journeys in their lifetime, right? And, and then associated with that multiple side journeys, right? So, so product market fit is always going to be the first one. Uh, but the two other major journeys are going to be um, uh, growth and business model. And, and again, each one of them is going to be, guess what? Roller coaster journey, journey of failures, and long one in a long period of time with no traction. Um, which one is going to follow the product market fit? Product market fit is always the first. But what do you do next? And, and if you look at multiple startups, then you realize that what you do next is not up to you to decide. It's actually up to the value that you create. And, and for a second, I would say, if you are building consumer service, right, and you have high frequency of use, then growth will follow product market fit. If you have low frequency of use, then business model will follow product market fit and growth later. Um, because with high frequency of use, you will end up with word of mouth uh, um, um, growth. Doesn't matter where you start, you will end up with word of mouth. People are using that a lot of times and they have an opportunity to tell someone else a lot of times and they will. Now, if you have very low frequency of use, let's say that uh, um, you know one of my startups is, is, uh, is doing tax returns. Um, and, and tax return is always complex and hard and, uh, and, uh, and expensive and so forth. And when we started, we said, no, no, we're going to oversimplify that. And we, we promise ourselves that our journey with the customer needs to be less than five minutes. Uh, but the frequency of use of that is once a year. That's it. <laughs> you don't want to deal with taxes more than once a year, <laughs> And so obviously you need to figure out your business model before you figure out growth. Um, ways and move it with high frequency of use. Obviously they figure out growth before. Um, and then the reality is that each one of them addressed uh, um, business model differently um, because of the durations of use, right? So ways durations of use is relatively long. And as a result, if you have high frequency of use and long duration, then I would say advertisement. That's it, as simple as that. Don't even bother to think of something else. And if you have high frequency of use and low durations of use, then I would say you are going to end up with selling data. Um, and, and, uh, um, and anything else is going to be challenging because, um, uh, because of that. And, uh, um, and so in many cases, you will end up with, uh, uh, with a business model and a growth strategy that uh, relates to, um, to what your product does, right? What's the value proposition that you bring in and how people are using that or how customers are using that. Um, and, and these are all, you know, each one of them is a, is a chapter in my book because uh, each one of them is going to be a journey by itself. And, uh, um, and uh, not to mention the uh, fundraising by itself, which is, uh, 
a journey that is actually going to return itself multiple times or potentially multiple times. Um, and, and each time is actually different, right? Because the first one is about uh, telling a good story. At the end of the day, when you speak with investors that invested in a startup uh, pre-seed round and you ask them why, they said, we like the CEO, we like the story. That's it, because there is nothing else, right? You don't know anything else and they don't know anything else, right? And uh, and based on those two, then, then uh, people will make the decision to invest. Now, if this is the case and, and you're a CEO of a startup and looking to raise, uh, you know, your pre-seed round or your first funding round, then you need to learn how to tell a good story. And if you don't know how to tell a good story, then people are not going to invest, as simple as that. You know, I can just see this book is amazing. <laughs> um, I mean, really, the audience needs to get, get this book. I mean, but it extends way beyond. I mean, I could even see it in, in having relationships with people. I mean, you know, you can apply it to everything, right? The core elements are... And the and the uh, chapters that you've been describing are just wonderful. So, audience, you got to go out there and get this book. Fall in love with the problem, not the solution. A handbook for entrepreneurs, but it's really a handbook for success. It's a handbook for life, <laughs> and it's going to be published. It it's abstract many things, right? So many of the issues, many of the challenges that we have, it's eventually abstract that into. Um, um, into something that is really easy to make the call, right? Because in many cases we we you know we struggle too much, and and I can add, um, um, you know, making decisions is hard, right? And 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 the reality is that a lot of people don't like to make decisions because they actually need to live with the consequences of them, and. Uh, um, and, and when I was young, uh, one day I, I came to my dad and said, look, I don't know which path to follow. I have these two options and I don't know which one to follow. And he reached out to his pocket and get a coin out and said, I'm going to flip the coin. And before the coin drops, you're going to make the call. At the end of the day, we usually know what's the right decision, but we are looking for confirmation. Guess what? The coin will drop and this is your confirmation. <laughs> And, and by the way, I would say, look, there are right decisions or no decisions, because when you make a decision, you don't know what it would be like if you choose a different path. Yeah. You know, there's a, uh, all of these wonderful nuggets. Uh, I, and just one final question. And what additional recommendation do you want to give the audience? And that's the last question. And thank you to Addie Burrell for... Uh, setting this up. You were mentioning Addie before, and she's such a creative, wonderful, talented uh, uh, person and professional. So <laughs> I I second that. Um, you know, I, I would say um, I there is this place in my book, it might be at the end of it, but it might be at the beginning of it, that I basically tell the audience the following. If there is something... If I have created value for you throughout this book, and, and I'm pretty sure that I will, but, but the, the value needs to be appreciated by, by the one that is actually, I have created the value for them. Then I would ask you to pay it forward uh, right. and make sure that you are helping, you are creating value for someone else as well. That's a wonderful message to end with. And uh, Yuri, thank you for sharing so much during this hour. 
uh, your wonderful journey, uh, all the success, but all the lessons that you learned from, like you said, the fast failing as well, and uh, making the hard decisions and so on. So <laughs> I really enjoyed my time with you today. Thank you for coming in. Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you for listening to the brand called You Videocast and Podcast, a platform that brings you knowledge, experience, and wisdom of hundreds of successful individuals from around the world. Do visit our website, www.tbcy.in, to watch and listen to the stories of many more individuals. You can also follow us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just search for the brand called You.